Have you seen this advertisement? When I first saw this on Facebook uh, about a week ago, it took me a few seconds to realize what it was about. Um, very clever advertising because all of a sudden your eyes are, are searching for more, right? And of course, eventually you realize, oh, this is the apple. And then you look and it says, wish we could say more. And the font is, is strangely familiar, especially if you use Mac or iPads. And so for me, within a few seconds, I thought, oh, this must be the new iPhone uh, that's coming out. Um, and, of course, they're saying, you know, they're keeping it a mystery so that you would want to be there and you're going to line up and you're going to, you know, um, all go to the Apple store to see what latest product is coming out. And different people have written different articles. You know, I've been looking at different uh, newspapers and they're all speculating on what, what could be coming out on this day. And a lot of people think that in, in addition to the iPhone 6, um, they think that a new product is coming out called an iWatch or something like that. And, you know, um, I'm not dogging on Apple. I have a Mac myself. Um, but I think it just goes to kind of symbolize for us nowadays the epitome of the drive for consumerism, the idea that it's never enough, that you have to constantly purchase and consume more and more. Um, there's an increasing um, buying um, of things, of, of goods. And Apple has done a really good job of preying on that desire to produce and to get us to continue to buy the latest model, um, whether it's the iPhone or, you know, um, all the accessories that are surround any eye item. Um, it's amazing. Even in our own house, at one point we had, uh, between the two of us, uh, each an iPad, plus one of us, I think at the time, had an iPhone, and one of us had a Mac. And you know, at the end of the day, you just have so many items around. We've tried to come down um, a bit. We've sold off a few things, but we still have, I think, between the two of us, at least three laptops in our house. And it's amazing how... Um, it's not, you know, we're not even that wealthy and yet it's so easy to accumulate things. And it's so easy to think, you know what, I actually do need this next item or what I have currently is not good enough. It's amazing how many USB dongles I have just lying around, for example, or how many external hard drives we have in the home. And that's just with technology. Can you imagine if we started tallying all the different items that we have around the house and in our possession that actually we don't need? We have multiple, um, I have way too many clothes than I need, for example, or um, the amount of shoes or what are handbags, purses, um, whatever it may be. I just wonder, have we gotten so caught up in this age of consumerism that we have kind of subconsciously adopted the values that go along with it? And there's nothing wrong with getting things. There's nothing wrong with... Um, having things that are convenient and that um, aid with just the normal routines of life. And there's nothing wrong with buying and selling and participating in this economy. But the problem comes, and problems come, when we buy into one of the lies that sometimes advertising um, portrays, and portrays very, very well, which is why it works. But the lie is, for example, uh, I'm just going to kind of um, wrap on Apple for a little bit. Have you seen those, um, advertising? Uh, there are these videos. Um, I think the most recent one, you know, featuring the new iPhone, 
um, shows this happy family, and it shows the different ways that the the phone can be used to kind of assist in that in that perfect family picture. So you've got the dad. I think there's one. Um, I just remember one scene where the dad is like using the the a flashlight on the iPhone to help his little girl find her bunny or something that's under the bed, or there's a little kid that's drawing, and he puts like the um, the phone there and the lion's mouth like opens in a roar um and i did actually go and look up what that app was because i was like that's so cool i need to have it for micah you know it's called johnimal or something anyways and so this this advertisement works really well this commercial totally drew me in i was thinking that's gonna make my family happier Right, having having the iPhone is going to mean that, and, and of course you're not you're not thinking this consciously. You don't actually think, oh, A equals B. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? I, I can actually use that. That'll actually be useful, or that'll um, make it more fun when I interact with this and that. Or and and it subconsciously does come in, and and the lie that is behind that that in every other commercial is that we need this product. In order to be happier, that our happiness will increase as we consume more. And to an extent, it might be true that having the item might make things more convenient and might make things um, more interesting. And yeah, it might it might make us happy. But the thing about happiness is that there's short-term and long-term happiness. Um, there's the kind of happiness that you know you experience when you eat double fudge ice cream, you know, on top of, I don't know, rich chocolate cake or, but that happiness isn't going to last very long, especially if you do that every day, it's going to lead to obesity and tooth decay and a lot of things that actually make you unhappy. Or there's, there's the happiness in, um, you know, the intimacy of premarital, um, sex that feels like a dream, but could very much turn into a nightmare when that relationship ends. Um, there's so many short-term happiness that we experience in, in society, um, secular society, that promise to be wonderful but don't last and actually have detrimental effects on us. And I think that's one of the problems of consumerism, that it promises big things but actually delivers very little. And it sets up big expectations, expecting, um, making us expect um, a lot of ourselves and of the products that we consume. And then, of course, we're disappointed and we're frustrated when those expectations are not met. But in addition to the fact that happiness can be um, short-lived and, and disappointing, there's a few other problems of consumerism that I just want to highlight. One of the other problems of consumerism is that it actually uses up the Earth's resources. And... Um, because if you think about it, in order for them to produce new products, they have to extract raw materials from the earth, whether that's fossil fuels, nutrients, excuse me, fresh water, metals, timber, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, in order to get, acquire these new products, we throw away our old products, which contribute to the waste that is then out there, um, also contributing to the destruction of the environment. Um, but in addition to the fact that we're consuming and really, really exploiting the, the environment, um, Consumerism is also a factor that adds to the existence and the um, continued misery of poverty around the world. And I just want to um, focus on the chart for a little bit. This shows in U.S. billions the global priority, and this was a, a research done in 1998 
um, by the UN Human Development Project report. And if you just take a look, we, there's $8 billion spent for cosmetics in the U.S., $12 billion spent on perfume in U.S. and Europe, um, $17 billion for pet foods in Europe and the U.S., 35 et cetera, et cetera. So you can see how much money goes into the production um, of these items. And I've at, left out a few things on this chart. There was ice cream in Europe for like $11 billion. Really love ice cream over there. And now look at this chart. This shows in U.S. billion how much it would cost to to uh, make sure that there's basic education for all. And when it says all, it means all. <laughs> or water and sanitation for all, $9 billion. Reproductive health for all women, $12 billion. Basic health and nutrition for all, $13 billion. Can you imagine? And, you know, going back to the other chart, if only we cut out something like cigarettes, $50 billion, that would cover all of that. And I think, you know, we might wonder, well, what does it have to do with poverty? How come my consumption is affecting someone else? Well, I think it just goes to show that um, there is growing inequality. And I have a um, chart here that actually <laughs> it's not this equal consumption by all people. The world's richest 20% consumes 76.6% of all goods. And actually, if you look down in the middle, 60% consume 21.9%. So the world's poorest 20% consume only 1.5%. So the answer to that question of what does it have to do poverty is that if only we were to consume less for ourselves and actually share what we already have with others, with the poorest, right, we could actually fulfill their basic needs um, and also reduce all the other detrimental effects that it has um, on the world. But not only does it have a detrimental effect on the world um, and the environment and growing inequality between the rich and poor, but it affects us internally as well. Um, I know the video that was shown earlier was a little um, exaggerated and dramatic, but it is true that if we are forever on this cycle of running the rat race and we're that little hamster in that ball and it never stops, it I don't know about you, but I need breaks, right? It's absolutely exhausting to just go non-stop and there is this pressure to produce all the time even when we relax in the back of our minds it's like oh i could be doing laundry i could be doing this there is this uh, constant pressure from within and, and without to always be producing something to always be doing something productive I'd like to propose today that while there might not be necessarily a cure for consumerism per se, because I think it goes much deeper than just a do this or don't do that, um, I do want to propose that God in his word had already something preventative as well as a treatment um, so that we wouldn't get into that burnt out consumerism state and that if we are in that state, how we can help get out of it and maintain it and there's it, this is a very difficult thing i don't know about you but you know we can't all just stop all work because then how we pay our bills how would we you know continue to live and and do what we need to do and so we can't just completely stop all things you know or you know it's very tempting to kind of just run away somewhere um and just leave 
everything behind. But again, is that really what God is asking of us? What does it really mean when, when Jesus says you must be in the world, but not of the world? What does God mean by that in the Bible? Um, and I think one way that God actually kind of provides a way for us to be in the world, but not of the world, is by the Sabbath. And let's look a little bit um, at that. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is what it says. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth at the end of um, creation were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. On the seventh day, God says, you know what? I'm going to stop from my work and I'm going to bless it. And I want to just show briefly this chart here. This is from one of my favorite professors um, at seminary, Dr. David, Richard Davidson. And you know he has done all the research, and so I'm not going to go over this, but I just want to point this um, out so that if you would like to look at it later, I can give you a copy. But he just pointed out that there's seven kind of dimensions to Sabbath rest. It's not just, oh, we're not working today, but it's um, more than just the physical rest. He talks about how it's a mental rest, an emotional rest, a creative, celebrative rest, a gospel rest, an empowering rest, and an intimate rest. I'm not going to go over this, but I want to pick out a few things that are kind of related and in addition to this. And if you want a copy, like I said, I'll give it to you later. I want to propose that the Sabbath provides rest in addition to those things, that it provides rest from the pressure to produce. It provides rest from the pressure to produce. Like I said earlier, we are constantly under that pressure to produce, whether it's from work, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our personal lives. Um, I don't know about you, but on my computer, I have three different categories of to-do lists, work, and then personal, and then miscellaneous. And the to-do list never gets shorter, right? It always gets longer. And so even when I'm relaxing, in the back of my mind, I feel guilty because I'm not doing any of the things on my to-do list. Um, so sometimes while I'm relaxing, I'll at least do laundry because while that's going, you know, I feel a little bit better, right? And it's just not a healthy mindset. And I think the Sabbath provides a perfect opportunity for us to rest from that pressure without feeling guilty. Because this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This is the fourth commandment um, that God provided. And on um, in the fourth commandment, he says, remember the seventh day, and he says, don't work neither you nor anyone under your sphere of influence he says i want you to stop and i want you to stop without feeling guilty and he's giving us the freedom to actually take a break to actually take a break i found this verse interesting exodus chapter 34 verse 16 it says six days you shall labor but on the seventh day you shall rest even during the plowing season and harvest 
you must rest. In other words, even and actually, especially when the pressure is huge, right? It's not just you know a normal day on the farm, you know, for the Israelites. When it's plowing or harvest season, you're you're on a deadline, right? You gotta you gotta plant uh, just at the right time. Um, I don't know a whole lot about farming, but from reading Little House on the Prairie, I understand that you have to plant at just the right time, right, in order for the seeds to germinate, or you have to harvest quickly before the other birds or animals get to them, the gophers and, and the blackbirds, etc. And so you actually have to um, fight against time and nature. But even under that pressure, God says, hey, I want you to rest. I want you to rest because you need this. It's good for you. And not just good for you uh, in terms of not producing, um, but it's also good because it makes us trust God more. Um, there was a time when the Israelites were in the desert and they didn't have any food. And God provides food for them called manna, where it would just come down from heaven. It would be on the ground like dew. And they would, excuse me, they would just gather it up. And God told them on the sixth day, I want you to gather twice as much as you need. Whereas on the other days, they only needed to gather enough for that one day. And he said, on the seventh day, I don't want you to gather it at all. So sixth day, you prepare twice as much, and seventh day, you'll be fine. And some people who didn't, I don't know, for some reason believe that, on the sixth day, only gathered enough for one day. And then on the seventh day, of course, there were none. But for those who actually prepared and, and took in twice as much in six day, were able to eat on the seventh day. And the promise behind that illustration is that God will make sure that he provides enough during the six days so that on the seventh day, even if we don't work, we will have enough to be able to eat and, and continue to, um, to provide for ourselves and our families. And so in a world where the to-do list gets longer and harder and there's never enough time in the day, the Sabbath is a capsule in time that really allows us to just stop and focus on God. It prevents burnout and builds our trust in him. But in addition to relieving us from the pressure to produce, the Sabbath also provides rest from the lure to consume. To consume, There was a time um, in Nehemiah where the Israelites, they actually... Um, had gone away to captivity to Babylon, and then they come back, and they had forgotten to keep the Sabbath. And so they're, you know, doing everything that they normally did during the six days on the seventh day. And Nehemiah goes, there you go, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 to 17. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. And people from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? In other words, not only does God want us to stop producing right, and, and continuing the cycle of the rat race, on the Sabbath, he also wants us to stop consuming. He doesn't want us to to partake in the business of 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 uh, buying and consuming and doing all these transactions that go right back into that cycle. Um, 
And I think that's why the Sabbath is a great time to just turn off the TV because the TV is one of the main ways that all that advertising, right, luring you into consuming comes on. And to avoid the shopping and, you know, the things that constantly call out to us, get me, buy me, and acquire me in order to, you know, add to your life. And the Sabbath is a great time to kind of put a pause to that and get away to to an area or to an environment that is not promoting this constant culture of consumerism. It's a great time to actually stop getting more and actually appreciate what we already have. But in addition, the Sabbath also provides rest for the environment. It's very interesting because, as we saw, consumerism um, is one of the factors that lead to the destruction of the environment. And the Sabbath actually helps um, put a pause to our consumerism, but also helps in general. Uh, what I mean is, in Leviticus, so after the Israelites um, had received the commandment for the Sabbath, God gave them some warnings and some promises. He gave them wonderful promises of what would happen um, as a result of keeping the Sabbath. But he also told them, look, if you don't keep the Sabbath, these problems will happen. And one of the problems that God foresaw was that the environment would be destroyed. And so in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 33 and 35, God actually says, look, if you are going to continue this cycle and not rest yourself nor the environment, I'm going to remove you from the land that you are exploiting, take you away so that the land actually has time to rest. He actually says this. If you look in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 33 to 35, he says, Your land will be laid waste. This is if they don't keep Sabbaths. Your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate, and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land excuse me, will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths that you lived in it. And so God actually says, you're exploiting and you're going to continue to work and, and disregard um, this wonderful Sabbath that gives rest to you and everything around you, then fine, I'm going to remove you, take you to a different land, and the land will have a chance to replenish and, and um, recover from the waste that you put into it. And so the Sabbath is a wonderful time for us to uh, not just pause from our own personal consumerism, but also to actually give um, the environment a chance to rest. If all of us kept the Sabbath, right? Imagine how much um, how much of an impact, positive impact that would have uh, on the environment. But in addition to that, the Sabbath also provides us rest from um, all the busyness, and it allows us to actually focus on the relationships. It allows us to actually stop taking all the time and to actually give back. This is um, another version of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God um, gives the Ten Commandments once again, but this time he gives a slightly different reason for this, for keeping the Sabbath. He says, remember that you are slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So in Exodus, he says, remember it because I created you. He says, I created all things. I stopped on the seventh day and I blessed it. So keep a Sabbath. Here he says, hey, you were slaves in Egypt. I brought you out to keep the Sabbath in remembrance of the fact that you were delivered from slavery. I think the Sabbath is a perfect time for us to think about what things am I a slave to? Am I a slave to the pressure of 
the world for success, for popularity, for beauty, for you know having all the things, the latest things. Am, am I a slave to that? Also, what are other people enslaved to? Are they in slavery of poverty? Is there slavery of injustice? Um, and and it's a wonderful day for us to actually help loosen the bonds of slavery, and to actually focus on the relationships. And instead of being in slavery of self-centeredness and selfishness, where everything is about filling my needs, it's a it's a day where we can actually think about how we can give to others and fulfill others' needs, because we do have to meet our own needs. We have to. Live and work and do all those things. There's nothing wrong with fulfilling our needs, but this day is an opportunity for us to fulfill other people's needs and think outside of just ourselves. This text that was shown in the video earlier, and、um, some of us read it last night, is in Isaiah chapter 58. And I encourage you, when you have time, to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to pick out a few verses, starting in verse six. It says, "Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer." You will cry for help, and he will say, "Here I am." Skipping to thirteen. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The wonderful blessing of the Sabbath is that, as we rest from this constant pressure to produce, as we rest from this constant lure to consume, as we rest from the busyness and and actually let go of the things that we are always trying to do, and as we then focus on God and the relationships around us, God is saying we will be healed, right? Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally. And not just healed, but we'll be able to experience an intimacy with God on this day, that is so much more than on every other day. Because typically, on a normal day, you have to work, you have to do all those things, and so there isn't enough time and an opportunity to really connect with God for a, an extended period of time, right? Even if you do your devotions for an hour, and that's an hour compared to eight, eight hours or more that you have to be at work. But on the Sabbath, you have 24 hours where you don't have to work. And where you can connect God in an extended intimacy that actually can make a profound difference to your soul, and that will empower you and enable you to live the rest of the week. Then, with the Holy Spirit giving you that strength and the wisdom and the peace that you need to fight against the current of consumerism during the week. There's a quote、um, that I like that says this. The Sabbath hours are emptied of the human concern for self-preservation, in order for our Savior to fill them with the power of holiness. When the holy invades the Sabbath, it becomes a day of healing, a day for saving or preserving the life of others, a day of liberation from the enslaving power of work, for the family, for the poor, for the servants, even for the animals. But above all, it is a day to come into deep contact and communion with our Creator and Redeemer, to praise Him and rejoice before Him. It is not simply a family day. That would be a secular understanding of it. 
Rather, it is a day when the family places itself in the hands of a loving God in worship and in service to Him and to others. I want to challenge all of us, including myself, to not just think of the Sabbath as some a day when we can't do, um, but a day where we can be free to focus on God and the relationships that God has given to us, to focus on actually allowing ourselves to be filled by God. The beauty of the Sabbath is that not only can we be free from producing and, and, and consuming, but as we just stop and cease and rest, God's Holy Spirit comes in an intimate way when we open ourselves and fills us. And when we are satisfied with God, we realize that we don't actually need all the other things that we think we need. And we can be a little freer every Sabbath to pursue Him and His righteousness first, knowing that all other things that we need will be given to us and added to us um, according to His will. So I want to challenge um, all of us as we go into discussion in a little bit to think about and reflect on how we can experience rest, how we can truly um, extend that rest to ourselves and to our loved ones and to those around us. And as we experience that true rest, um, how we can then help resist um, the culture of consumerism to the point where we can actually restore relationships and the environment um, and our own kind of motivation and energy as well. And so as uh, Roy sings a song called um, It's Sabbath, I, I pray that we will be able to enter into that rest. So this song was written by uh, one of the worship leaders at Pioneer Memorial Church at uh, in Berrien Springs, Michigan at Andrews University. And... Uh, it was just a song that we sing pretty regularly at church just to kind of welcome in the Sabbath, and so I thought I'd share it with you guys.
prayer. Father God, I want to thank you that you in your wisdom and providence set aside a day where we can actually really connect with you and be free from the things that often pull us and distract us. And I pray that, Father, today, on this beautiful Sabbath day, that we be able to experience some of that rest and that each Sabbath to come, that we'll learn more and more what it's like to be truly free to experience you and to minister to others. And that in giving, we can understand what it really means to have that happiness that lasts. And I pray that um, as we discuss and as we continue to fellowship on this Sabbath day, that your Holy Spirit would bless us and fill us. I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.